Welcome to Headed Someplace, a show where strong, inspiring, enduring women share their stories with us. I'm Kara, and today my guest is Jennifer Gerhardt. She's an author under the name J.L. Gerhardt, and I'm going to let her jump in and just tell you who she is right off the bat and what she does. But first, I have to say, y'all, I made a huge mistake on this episode. She was such a good sport about it, but we got 10 minutes into our conversation having a blast and so much fun. And then I realized that my recording had stopped two seconds into our conversation, so I had to tell her that we had to start over. But she was great. I'm just a rookie, so that's is what it is but you would never know except I'm telling you so now you know uh anyway I'm laughing when I first ask her this first question because I deal with hard things through laughter I guess uh enjoy our conversation okay Jennifer tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in life Kara um I am a writer and I'm the storytelling minister at my church, Round Rock Church of Christ. That does not mean that I like get up on stage and tell stories, uh, <laughs> but my job is to help our church see where God's working and to tell the story of his work in their lives. Yes. A lot of times that's through, would that be through video and interviews and yeah. things like that? Yeah. Testimonies, videos. Uh, sometimes it's like giving everybody an opportunity to do something creative and worship. Cool. Um, Basically, yeah, I'm the creative person. Yes, you are. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) My husband, Justin's the minister there. So I'm a preacher's wife. I have been married to him for 18 years, uh, basically my entire adult life. Yes. I have two little girls, London and Eve. They are nine and 11. They're basically women. Yeah, they are. They're like, I want to hang out with them. I like hanging out with them. they're the coolest kids. Yeah, they're really cool. Yeah. Yeah, they're really cool. I realized the other day that like, I have done an excellent job as a parent. I mean, I'm going to give God all the glory for it. And my husband's totally a part of it. Right. We've done an excellent job making them really fun and interesting people. Yeah. yeah. But we haven't like nailed taking a bath every day. <laughs> you know, like we've raised really artsy kids, I guess. Yeah. But um, they're not particularly awesome at like cleaning their room, you know, eating sensible things for breakfast. Yeah. So. I'm going to work on that. That's so funny. I feel like you've nailed the, the things that matter. They'll carry them in life. Well, I think so. They will at least get attention in life. You know, like people notice them when they walk in a room. It's true. It's so true. They're so cool. Yeah, they're fun. Okay. And you and Justin got married when you were babies, pretty much. Yeah, we met when I was 13 years old. And we've been together since then. That's so, so crazy. I know. We dated for five and a half years. Okay. And uh, then we got married when I was 19. Wow. Yeah. Little youngins. And he was, you were 13, he was 15 when you met? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He was dating a middle schooler when he was in high school. (laughs) And like, he had to break up with the girl he was dating. Oh. Um, It's a little bit shocking. Okay. I didn't know this part. Yeah. But when he met me, he was dating someone and Mm. that didn't last for very long, but he had been dating her for a while and she was like a cheerleader and popular. And then he had to tell his friends that he broke up with her to date a middle schooler. <laughs> but he wins because now he has a young hot wife. <laughs> I guess so. I guess, I, I guess so. I think she would have been hot too. Yeah. So, <laughs> a cheerleader. Um, yeah, probably so. But not yeah. as young, so you win. She was really nice too. I felt bad for her. <laughs> You're really nice to say that. <laughs> um, I always like to start out the show asking a, about a random fact about you that not a lot of people know. So what is your random fact? Okay. I, I'm definitely one of those really 
complicated people who have a lot of weird things about them. So you're often surprised. <laughs> okay. But uh, one of the things that I would say is I was the defensive captain for my high school girls varsity flag football team. Whoa. I got a letter in flag football. Like your letter jacket. Yeah. You are a stud. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, One time I was playing football and um, I sacked the quarterback and when and you're not supposed to right you're supposed to grab the flag right but, but I you're like took her down I didn't mean to I guess sure but when I got up I looked down and my thumb was bleeding and I realized I had just had my nails done for like homecoming or something and my nail was stuck in her back oh my god and I didn't have a fingernail anymore you're so hardcore I I really would have never guessed that. I guess because you're like a creative, you know, you usually put people in a box. She's the creative yeah, girl, yeah. not the jock. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm you're both. I'm hardcore when it comes to football. <laughs> that's so funny. When you said one day when I was playing football, I was like, that's not something you hear every day from a young lady. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell us about the trip that you just went on with your family and why it was such a big deal. Okay, well, so my family's really into Harry Potter, mm -hmm. and the main reason we love Harry Potter is it's the story of an enchanted world. Like, it's a kid who discovers that there's more to the world than he ever thought there was, and so much of it is supernatural and special, and that's the kind of world we want our girls to grow up realizing is all around them. Mm. We want them to realize that there's more to life than what you can see. Yeah. And we've loved Harry Potter because it really is a story about the forces of light versus the forces of darkness. And it's this beautiful image of, you know, like sometimes light wins and sometimes light loses for a moment, right? Yeah. And sometimes it looks like all hope is gone. And, uh, and then in the end, you know, it's beautiful. And so we've loved reading these stories with them. We felt like it's given us lots of opportunities to talk about Jesus and talk about kingdom life and um, talk about your partners in the fight, you know? Ah, uh, cool. And I've never read I've never read any of the Harry Potters. I'm sorry, everyone listening that like wants to throw stones at me right now <laughs> or seen the <laughs> movies. But I want I mean, to. Don't watch the movies. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm I'm a book nerd. Uh, Just the book. You can watch the movies after you read the books, but the books are better, particularly the last book. Okay. On I only approve of the book version of the last book. Okay, but yeah. did you let your girls watch the movies? They did. They would watch them after each after book. After each book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been reading these books since they were five. We do basically one a year because we've been doing it on road trips and we wanted it to like extend over the course of their childhood. Y'all are so, so cool. <laughs> I love your ideas. It's been a delight. Like it's cool. been so fun to live in this world with them and live with these characters. And But we knew it was kind of coming to an end and it's so wild because London's finishing fifth grade. She starts middle school next year. Okay. So this this childhood thing is kind of closing. Um, so it was really emotional to read the last book. And mm -hmm. we read it on the way to Florida. And I mean, I, we just cried. And it was like we, we finished the last one while the sun was setting. Mm. Um, and we're all bawling because it's just all about Jesus and the resurrection and, oh, and wow. all that. Amazing. Cool. So perfect. And then we decided we wanted to surprise them. We didn't tell them this was going to happen, uh, but we wanted to surprise them by taking them to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Yes. So our family lives in Florida, 
So it was really convenient. We just came for Christmas and then we told them, oh, by the way, we actually like did the whole, they got a letter that said they were accepted to Hogwarts, the school and everything. It was all fancy. (laughs) And they had like robes and wands and. Y'all are so fun. It was so fun. And it's my husband. Like Justin is the fun one. Justin is the fun one. I'm like the budget person. I'm like, you know, they don't need robes. They don't need wands. We'll go and we won't buy any sodas. Yeah. And I'll see crackers in my backpack, you know? Just like, yes. no, there will be robes. There will be wands. There will be butterbeer. Like, <laughs> butterbeer, yes. I do know butterbeer. I'm so glad I'm married to somebody fun. Aww. It's like this beautiful end to that story. So <sighs> That's so fun. Do your girls know what cool parents they have? <laughs> oh, my goodness. They totally do. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Like, they make me feel so good about myself. They really do. And it it's just, it's a gift. Yeah, um, they love us. But I know that they're heading into a phase where they might not, like, be as aware of how much they love us. Yeah. But it's a delight to be loved by your nine-year-old and your 11-year-old. Um, and they're really, really kind to us. Sweet. They're sweet girls. For sure. Okay. So, so you're an author. You have just finished writing two books on the topic of grief. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so I just read your book, Swallowed Up. And yeah. um, it's the subtitle is A Story of How My Brother Died and I Didn't. And I kind of wish this whole podcast could be a read along of that book because <laughs> it is it's so good. And I sent it to so many of my friends. I still have like on my to do list right now on my note on my phone is like send swallowed up to and it has like a list of people that as I continue to budget out books, <laughs> we'll send it to you. But um I don't know that I had read a book on grief. I guess I couldn't have imagined that it would be helpful or to like, yeah. I don't know. I just wouldn't have thought it would be helpful. But this book, not only did you make me laugh, but you named all the range of emotions that I've felt throughout time through my own grief story, like even the just dark thoughts that you don't want to admit and you just lay them all out there. And it really just kind of removes the shame of thinking any dark thoughts or any of that, but also, yeah, it was emotional reading through it and remembering my own story of my mom dying, but somehow also so healing. Like tears are going down my face in coffee shops. I'm like, people probably think I'm not okay, but I actually am. Like this, these are good tears. And just to be reminded of the hope we have because Jesus defeated death and Mm -hmm. the idea that hope isn't just for us all one day, like when we're in heaven together, you know, again, it's for now, even right. in the face of tragedy, like we can still see God's goodness in the land of the living today. Yes. And yeah. so I want to read a small ex- excerpt from the very beginning of it, where you okay. talk about grief even being right and good, which was like, oh, that I feel like relief reading mm-hmm. that because it feels like something we need to like just get through to get better or, um, but I'm going to read a little excerpt. Okay. You said, Mourning is the righteous reaction of people made to live eternally to a death that steals our destiny. You say, grief is our act of protest, our refusal to let our people go quietly. We grieve together and we grieve together with God, lifting pictures of our loved ones, carving names into marble, lighting candles, refusing to let death extinguish life. And I love that. There's so many little lines like that throughout the book that's like not only is it your own story but it's also these like powerful 
words of wisdom and like proclamations almost that I'm like, I'm like raising my <laughs> fist with you. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so maybe let's start out with like a little background of your grief story, losing your brother, and then we can kind of go from there. Okay. All right. Well, um, my brother died in a car accident when he was 20 years old and I was 21. He was coming home from college. You know, when you're 20, you think you can do things that humans can't do. And um, Bobby had, he was coming home from the semester, like he'd been up all night with friends, hanging out. And then he wanted to try to drive 16 hours home. Mm. And he ended up getting too late a start. And he wasn't going to arrive home in Florida until like five in the morning. So he was going to be driving all night. Um, I have known my brother since he was born and he can never stay awake in a car. Mm. Um, I mean, we all would have known this is a terrible idea. Right. But, you know, he would call every so often and he called me a few times that night. And Which and how old were you? How far apart were y'all? I was 21. We were only 15 months apart. Okay. So close. Um, I I really friend. can't remember a life without him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were absolute best friends. Our parents were super protective, and so we like didn't go over to people's houses. We were each other's friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he uh, it was raining that night, and he had his cruise control on, and he nodded off. And because he had the cruise control on, and because it was kind of a smooth road, uh, he never woke up. The car went off the road and hit a tree, and he never woke up. And, um, you know, I mean, it's not a terrible way to die. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it gave us a lot of peace that he was asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed fitting for Bobby that uh, he would be asleep. He slept all the time. <laughs> um, You're like, this is how he would have wanted to go. Yeah, like, it's just so perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, obviously, like, when a 20-year-old dies, it's just not what anybody expects. Right. And I had a whole life imagined with him. Like, I'd invested so much in that relationship as a kid. Like, you know, we'd, we'd figured out how to fight. Like, we figured out how to be partners. We'd, like, he was the person I knew how to be with, you know? Mm-hmm. And all that work, right, had, in my mind, like, prepared us to be best friends for the rest of our lives. Like, to raise our kids together and to, you know, have houses on the same street. And I just had this whole future for us laid out. And that wasn't what was going to happen. And my husband, you know, Justin, because he'd been with our family for so long, uh, Bobby was Justin's best man in the wedding. Mm-hmm. He was his best friend. And so it was so jarring mm-hmm. and so unexpected. And, you know, my family was acquainted with grief. My grandmother died really young of breast cancer. Uh, my mom was only 24 when she died. Mm-hmm. And I lived in her house. And so, you know, I like helped her pick out her first wig after mm-hmm. her hair fell out. And so wow. we were acquainted with grief. And I'm, I'm kind of thankful for that because when Bobby died, I think we had some tools at our disposal and we knew how to some extent to grieve. But that process, you know, really years of, of grieving taught me a lot about God. It taught me a lot about how transformation happens inside of us. Um, it taught me a lot about like God's nature, you know? Yeah. It taught me a lot about belonging in the community of God. I think every single part of my life was touched by my grief, yeah. which was really surprising. I don't know, I, I hadn't really expected grief to instruct me so powerfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, like it totally disrupted everything. I mean, it made a mess right. and, uh, and I was a wreck. And so a lot of swallowed up is walking through the wreck that grief made and also 
watching God clean up the mess, I guess, like, or maybe that's the wrong word, but I always imagine, um, you know, I titled the book Swallowed Up because that's, of course, how you feel when grief hits, right? Yeah, like you feel sure. like it takes all of you. Uh-huh. And a lot of, for a lot of people, that's the only thing they thought of with that title. So when I told people that the book was going to be called Swallowed Up, they were like, oh, that's such a depressing title. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I get it. I get it. But that wasn't really what I had in mind. Yeah. Um, I had in mind scripture that talks about death being swallowed up by life, yeah. by life, right? And yeah. that God is the one who's going to swallow up all of this pain and darkness and everything that we experience. And so to me, it was a really hopeful title. Right. It's so, it's like literally the perfect title because I thought the same thing as the, I didn't think, oh, it's so depressing. I thought, oh, yes, I, that is so it. Like you feel swallowed up. And then it's yeah. not to like almost all the way through the book that I'm like, oh, but not forever. You know, I'm not swallowed up forever because death has been swallowed up in victory. It's so cool. Yeah. So that was my experience. Both. Yeah, both. Right. You know, I originally had thought of this book as um, a manifesto, kind of like a, a mantra against death. Like for so long, I had been taught as a good Christian girl that like death is good. Because death is when you go to heaven. Right. We shouldn't be sad. Our people are, are with Jesus. Right. Right. But we're not <laughs> yet. We're, but yeah. So like it leaves you really feeling so guilty about your pain. That's right. Yep. Because you're like, well, I'm supposed to feel, be happy for them because they're in heaven. But what we don't take into account is that God like never says death is good. Hmm. Never. Um, he talks about death as an enemy. Like death is a consequence. It's the wages of sin. It's bad. Yeah. Now what happens after death is beautiful because of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the resurrection, what happens after death is great. But that moment, something is in fact stolen. Like something bad happened when death took your person. And, you know, reading the Bible and looking for that, discovering that really helped me come to terms with my grief because I saw God grieving. Yeah. And when I saw God angry at death, that gave me so much permission. Yeah. And enabled me to work through my feelings better because I saw those feelings not as aberrations, but as holiness, as the divine inside of me. And that anger I felt went from being something I had to fix to being something that needed to inspire something. Mm. I was like, I'm angry at death. How do I fight it? And that became the question. Yeah. And once I had that question, now I had a plan. Like I had purpose in my grief mm-hmm. because I could fight death. I could figure out how to be opposed to this force that had taken this person I love. Yes. I love um, you really do like line that out and give permission to grieve. And even knowing the scriptures like my whole life, I had never seen what you are talking about as far as God not liking death, like it being an enemy of God. And you talk about when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he dies and the whole earth goes dark Mm. and the temple curtain is torn in two. And you said something about it being like, I can't help but think that's like David tearing his clothes in mourning. And I, even as I'm saying it, I like have chills like, oh yes, God is grieving. He doesn't like this, you know? Like, yeah. Wow. Anyway, I, I love I love where you channel, though, that anger. It's not just yeah. like, okay, um, well, then we can be angry. <laughs> right, right. It's like, okay, how do I fight death? Right. 
Like, yeah, it actually fight. helped me figure out who to be angry at because mm. you're going to be angry and right. grief. Right. But way too many people are angry at God. Mm. And I didn't want to be angry at God because it wasn't God's fault. Right. And so, yeah, it did help me channel it and into productive stuff. Like it, it helped me build this really beautiful life. Yeah. So talk about how you started to fight death. So. Um, or fight for life. Maybe that's how you worded it. Yeah, yeah. That I fought death with life. Yeah. Right. I started asking the question, uh, how can I live today? Jesus talks about himself as the life. He says he's come to give us abundant life. And too often we think of, we think of the life that God calls us to as this life of giving stuff up. And we miss that he's calling us into a richer, fuller, more alive way of being. Yeah. And so that's what I started asking. It's like, how can I fight death today? What can I do to be fully alive? Mm. And so, you know, that looked like figuring out ways to intentionally love people, it, you know, intentionally celebrating in the midst of darkness. Mm. Um, it looked like singing when there was nothing to sing about. It looked like making relationships when I just didn't want to and I wanted to be by myself. You know, it's those intentional choices to make my life bigger as opposed to letting my life shrink because of grief. Right. Yeah. And losing Bobby, your brother, your best friend, that wasn't mm. the last loss for you. You also no, no. have had, was it two miscarriages? Yeah, I've had multiple miscarriages. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've lost at this point. Uh, so my parents, when I was born, were 17 and 19. Or they're 18 and 19, 18 and 19 when I was born. And so my grandparents were a huge part of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. Um, They were parents, just like my parents were Right, because your your parents were also babies, having babies. Yeah, Yeah. and they did a great job, but I was definitely raised by a community. Um, And so I've said goodbye to all my grandparents, but one at this point. I actually did one of my grandfather's funerals. Wow. And my grandfather's died back to back two weeks between their deaths. And that was really unexpected. Um, but my grandfather, who I was closest to, I really, he was my person. He died over a time of about four years. So he was dying for four years and, um, that was hard, you know, walking beside him and losing him piece by piece. There's such a difference between losing somebody quickly. Like I lost Bobby, Mm. which is tragic and he's gone and losing someone every day. Like you lose more of them. Mm. Um, you know, where they, they can't remember stories anymore and then and then they can't get up and do anything with you and then and then they can't talk anymore and you know. Ugh, yes. Um so that grief was really hard. The miscarriages were really hard, um, because they came at a time of a lot of loneliness for Justin and I. Uh we were really removed from our family and they were after Bobby uh, had died. And two, we weren't sure we were gonna be able to have kids. It was at the beginning before I had any kids. Okay. And so that was really tough. Um You guys had you guys had moved to New York at that time to plant a church. Is that right? Yeah, we were in Brooklyn, New York, okay. all by ourselves because we were idiots <laughs> um, trying to plant a church. Like, we just had no idea. Yeah. You know, we didn't realize that we needed a team. We just were really passionate about reaching people who didn't know Jesus. Yeah. And so we went. And um, we say it was like the happiest, saddest time of our life. Hmm. It was wonderful and it was terrible. Uh, while we were there, we were there for one year. And during that time, the church that we had been at before, our sending church, split. Justin's grandmother died. Our dog died. We had two <sighs> miscarriages. And I was battling just really difficult depression. Mm-hmm. 
And so all that happened just in that one year. And then at the end of that year, we lost our funding and didn't have a job anymore. Yeah. Goodness. And any one of those things, just one of them is like hard. And I know. I mean, we've never talked about on the podcast churches splitting, but those are a huge source of pain for so many people. You know, those are really big events. Well, and for Justin and I, I think we felt a lot of responsibility for that because um, they weren't healthy. You know, like we'd been there for all that time. And I think we thought we were helping them become a whole church, you know, like and then to see people who we'd loved be so evil mm. toward one another. That was really hard to yeah. handle. Feels like, did we fail? <laughs> right. Yeah. Is that our fault? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So can you talk also a little bit about, would you say that you've had like clinical depression throughout your life or just prone to depression? Yeah, I probably have clinical depression. Okay. But I have come from a family of people who have chemical depression, okay. you know. Mm-hmm. And just mental health problems in general. Yeah. And so that's been something I think I've probably dealt with since middle school. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have realized that's what it was until Bobby died. Right. And when Bobby died, that's when I went to a doctor um, and did a bad job taking my medicine. I don't know how anybody who's depressed <laughs> does a good job taking right. my medicine. <laughs> like, like, this is not a thing that we're capable of no, right now. <laughs> it's like you're supposed to wake up at like a certain time every day. That didn't ever happen. <laughs> You know, and then you're supposed to like eat regular meals. That didn't ever happen. Right. You know, you mean like a tub of bluebell or what's a regular meal? <laughs> yeah. But, like at the same time every day. I was like, oh, yeah. no, that's not happening. Right. So I feel like that would be just a whole nother added <laughs> obstacle in grief because I am not prone to depression. And I remember yeah. sitting, <laughs> sitting across the table from me at Starbucks after my mom had passed away and for those of you who don't know, my mom passed away and two weeks later I got married. And actually Justin and Jennifer were our premarital counselors. So they were very much a part of the whole, um, yeah. that part of our story. But I remember being like, I'm never going to be the same. You know, my husband didn't marry the woman he thought he did. And I'm never going to be joyful Kara and all these things. And yeah. I, remember, <laughs> I remember you just looking at me, at me and being like, no, you're just depressed. And I was like, what? No, I don't get de- <laughs> I don't get depressed. But I was like yeah. so relieving. And you're like, no, it's just like situational depression, you know? And yeah. it, like just naming it was like, oh, okay. Like, okay, I can get I can get through that. Yes. And it was yes. it was a relatively short period of time, like looking back, maybe yes. four months of that. But I feel like to struggle with that, because I know it's such a very real struggle for so many so many, yeah. would just be an added like ugh, you know, uphill battle. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say that grief was something that helped me with my depression. Mm, Um, Okay. It certainly made me sadder for sure. And in some ways, like people around me would excuse what they would have noticed otherwise. And they just say, oh, well, she's just grieving. Um, When in reality, they were clearly signs of depression there. Mm. But for me, I feel like grief helped me acknowledge my depression. Yeah. Like grief helped me say, this is a real thing. I have to get a handle on it. I cannot keep leaning into these unhealthy behaviors. I have to confront this. And so it caused me to go to the doctor. And then two, it caused me to realize I had to get better control over what I was eating and how much water I was drinking and whether I was reading my Bible and praying every day. And um, I realized that like I needed routine in my life. And I realized a lot of that because of my grief. And I think I would have gone a lot longer hiding Hmm. from my depression if I hadn't had to confront it because it was just so aggressive. Right. uh, In grief. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. 
Yeah, you had to face it because otherwise, how are you going to go on? <laughs> yep. Okay, so your most recent book, A Grief Received. Yeah. Remind me the subtitle of that book. What to do when loss leaves you empty handed. Okay. Doesn't it go through like you could do it with a group of people? Yeah, It's more absolutely. of like a hands-on, like practical, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so can you give us some teasers from that? And like, what, what do we do? What do we do when loss leaves us empty-handed? Well, so the wisdom that I most often hear when people are grieving is that grieve however you want, right? Have you you've heard that? Uh-huh. Like, it's yeah. okay to grieve however, however you need to grieve. I think that's really destructive wisdom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or the opposite of wisdom. I get what people mean. And um, I'm all for, you know, if you need to cry, cry. If you need to get pictures out and look at the pictures, do that. If mm-hmm. you need to. But, the cemetery. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But for a lot of people, what they're doing in their grief is really bad for them. And I think we ignore that. Grief is the kind of circumstance that really upturns people. And often it's the moment when people fall into really destructive patterns of living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I interviewed a bunch of people for this book. This book is not just my story. And over and over again, I found people who began affairs in the first three months after grief, mm-hmm. um, people who began addictions in the wake of grief, people who fell into patterns of overeating in the wake of grief. Just over and over and over again, grief would open people up to this temptation. And because they were so weak, they were unable to fight it. Mm-hmm. And they'd find themselves going down really destructive paths. And I, I talked to a friend and she she had been diagnosed with cancer and she was kind of grieving that diagnosis. And she was talking to me and she said, you know, when people tell me, however you need to grieve, you grieve. She said, that's great. And I feel loved. She said, but what I wanted was somebody to hand me a roadmap. <laughs> Yes. Somebody to be like, here, here's a path. You can do this. Here's what it's going to look like to grieve. And that really stuck with me. So that plus, you know, I think so many people run away from grief and I wanted people to enter their grief, like to embrace it, to see grieving as this holy thing. Mm. And so um, a grief received is basically a book about nine practices that are really just gifts that grief will give us, like there are opportunities in grief that grief presents to you in a unique way that other circumstances in life don't. Hmm. And there are opportunities that if you'll embrace them, if you'll take this chance inside of your grief, you will find God's transformation and gifting in those places. Wow. Uh, so I talk about lament um, and how powerful lament is in creating a relationship with God, um, helping to break down some of our walls and how if we will practice lament in our grief, We'll be so much closer to God. Which, can you define lament? Yeah, yeah. Because I think it just means like being sad. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like the practice of lament, like in the Psalms, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think it's a third of the Psalms that are lament. I might be wrong. Um, But it's a huge section of the Psalms that are lament Psalms. Mm -hmm. And all a lament is, is being honest with God about your negative feelings. Okay, okay. And so... Laments are often people yelling at God. <laughs> yeah. You know, sharing the things that they're just angry about. Like, I'm mad that this happened. I can't believe that this is happening. I wish bad things would happen to all the people who don't like me. I wish, <laughs> you know, like it's just kind of yes. unveiling. Like it's just letting it happen, letting it all out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's going on ahead and saying the things. And with God, so often we won't do that. We try to be really like prissy 
yeah. around God. Like we prance yeah. around. We all know, we only want to say like, only say the right things. Yeah, right. And I don't know if it's that we're like scared he's going to send a lightning bolt down if we say something <laughs> that might offend him. Yeah. But God's like big. He doesn't get offended because this tiny person says something about him, you know, like right. he's fine. Right. You're not going to accuse him in some way someone else hasn't. Mm -hmm. But what you are going to do is be honest with him. And he values that. He loves it when his people are honest with him. Right. It's the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, when Bobby died, or really honestly with the miscarriages, maybe even more, it was an opportunity for me to say things to God that I needed to say, mm -hmm. like things that had been brewing for a while, questions that I had that. I needed to say out loud to him, mm -hmm. you know, and honestly, I've, I've done this in my marriage now. Cause I'm one of those people who like hides it. I'm just like, if I feel uncomfortable, I assume it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if something is bad, it's probably cause I broke it. Mm. And so for a long time in my marriage, I wouldn't say things, you know? And then I realized like, I'm not giving him a chance to talk. Right. Like I'm not giving him a chance to defend himself. Mm -hmm. I'm just, like carrying all these decisions I've made about him. Yeah, making the story in your head. Yeah. And so I needed to say those things out loud to God and I needed to let him respond, mm -hmm. you know? And I needed to hear it out loud. I think just saying it, some of it helped me be like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> right. You know? It was like, oh, okay, that was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah. I felt like a three-year-old, but I needed to say it. That's right, yeah. And once I had, I felt so much closer to God after that practice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I talk about welcoming help, how so many times we don't have to depend on other people and we never get to the heart of belonging in our communities because we never need anyone mm. and how grief opens you up because you need people all of a right. sudden. Right. I talk about the gift of daily bread and living in the present and how grief is like one of those things where all of a sudden the future is too overwhelming for oh you to my. carry. Yeah. Right. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> So you can't live in tomorrow. You have to just live here today. And what a gift that is if you can learn that practice for the rest of your life. I mean, it continues to benefit me. And it's something that I learned hmm. in grief. Yeah, There's a, you know, a host of those practices. I talk about, you know, um, being aware of our mortality and immortality. Like grief actually helps you be more aware that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. and more aware that you're never going to die. Yeah. And those are both wonderful things to mm. carry in the front of your head because they can motivate such beautiful behavior. Yeah. Um, I talk about remembering the power of remembering the person that um, you loved and the way that that has the opportunity to inspire holy living. Yeah. Uh, I talk about grief being an opportunity to teach us gratitude. Mm. Explain that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think so. We do it so naturally. I think when someone dies, you go to a funeral, and what do people do? They basically thank God for all the good things about that person. Uh -huh. um, they may not thank God because they may not know God is who they're thankful to. Right. Um, but they say all these beautiful things. You say, "Oh, she was so kind. She helped me." When mm -hmm. I think grief puts us in a natural posture of gratitude, where we're opened up to be thankful for what we lost. Mm. And so yeah. we start seeing what we lost through that lens where we're thankful for it. We're thankful we had it. And then, of course, it's going to take some like actual intentional discipline. And all of these do. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want to reach out for help. Grief is just an invitation to reach out for help. Right. You want right? to close up to yeah. yourself. But exactly. yeah, you don't want to lament. You want to run from God. 
you know, most of these practices take a choice. Um, I end the book with, with celebration. And um, I think we think of joy and grief as so separate, like opposites, Mm -hmm. but joy is something that we can absolutely have in the middle of our grief, but it requires a lot of intentional choice because sadness is easy and joy is hard. Mm-hmm. And for people like, so, I mean, people like you probably, or people like um, my husband, joy maybe always comes easy in some ways. No, not in right. grief, but like in general. Right, in general, like, yeah. Be happy. Right. I'm kind of one of those people who's like, why would you be happy? <laughs> yeah. You know? Different, different default uh, emotions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So like, I had a little practice at this. Um, but like for my husband, when Bobby died, and all the joy was gone, he was very confused. It, that's, yeah, that was me. Yeah, it was really hard for him because joy had been so natural. And it grew on trees. It's, yeah, scary to, to lose that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so for him, and for me too, we had to start intentionally pursuing joy. You know, we talked earlier in this podcast like about the girls and reading these books and going to the wizarding world of Harry Potter and all that. That's intentional. Like, we know that joy isn't free. Like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. come from nowhere. If we just put everything on autopilot, uh, we won't be joyful people. Yeah. And so we have to pursue things that lift our eyes to God, things that, like, give us hope, things that are fun, Mm -hmm. like, things celebrate the good. Right? We have to look for that on purpose. And when Bobby died, we started doing it really intentionally. Yeah. And so we practice it with our kids now. We practice it on our own. We look for joy and we stir it up. And it's important to us to be constantly looking for opportunities to celebrate, to say, God's here. Look what he's doing. Isn't it awesome? Mm. Um, And we do that in parties and we do that just in saying those words, you know, but joy, joy is like required for the griever. Yes. And in a lot of ways, grief will prepare you to be a joyful person because for the first time, you'll have to do it on purpose. Right. Yeah, you have to try. Yep. Which probably makes you better at it. I think the last time I was at y'all's church, we said something. We had something we said about yeah, yeah. What, what's the thing. So we say, um, look what God's done. Thank you, God. We love it. I love that. And it's like this big celebratory moment. It was so yeah, cool. Yeah, we all say it together. We usually clap after we say it. And we'll say it often. Like we say it when somebody adopts a child. We say it when somebody uh, breaks free from an addiction. Mm. Um, and it's so cool because our members all use it on social media. So like you'll see it all through my Facebook feed. People saying, look what God's done. Thank you, God. We love it. Y'all, quick break to tell you about a giveaway. It's our first ever giveaway on Instagram. Jennifer is giving our podcast listeners, that's you, a chance to win a copy of both of her recent books on grief, Swallowed Up and A Grief Received, which actually just launched this week. So to enter the giveaway, you can go to my Instagram. It's at Kara Dawn Z. That's K-A-R-A-D-A-W-N-Z. A lot of people like to say Caradons, and I'm cool with that. You can call it whatever you want. Just go to my handle at Caradons and there is info over there for you to figure out how to win those books. I would like to talk a little bit about marriage, mainly because I admire y'all's marriage so much. Um, you've talked about how y'all are different a little bit in this podcast, but you say yeah. that you guys are pretty opposite. 
and yeah. <laughs> that a big part of your 18 years, is that right, of marriage? Yeah. Has yeah. been learning how to be opposites and be partners. So can you talk about learning that and what that's looked like for you guys? Absolutely. So I would say for the first part of our marriage, I like ignored that we were different. I just assumed we were the same person. And that led to a lot of misunderstandings. It led to me thinking he was mad when he wasn't. It led to me thinking he was happy when he wasn't. It led to like us thinking we agreed on things and we didn't. Um, so there was just a lot of confusion, I think, in general. But then in recent years, we've kind of begun to understand that we don't see the same way. We don't act the same way. We don't get energized the same way. Uh, one of the big ones we started to realize, I guess about a decade ago, was that I was an introvert and Justin was an extrovert, mm -hmm. which... We never would have guessed. Really? Yes, because we're both public speakers. Yeah, you can you can seem extrovert, extroverted. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, we're both fun in groups. Yes. And I definitely engage when I'm with people. So I guess I don't fit the stereotype of an introvert. Justin doesn't fit the stereotype of an extrovert because he's pretty shy. Okay. And I know it's weird that he's shy. I know. But he's he, is, he doesn't seem shy. But. I know. Yeah, he's shy. Um, and he likes to be by himself. Like he'll go out to a movie by himself. He'll go out to dinner by himself. And that's mm -hmm. not a very extroverty thing to do. Mm -hmm. But I get energy from being alone. And Justin gets energy from being with people. Mm -hmm. Well, when you're married and you're each tugging mm -hmm. one way, mm -hmm. that often leads to a lot of conflict. So I wanted to go be by myself. I wanted us to be by ourselves. I wanted the family to be at home. And Justin would have filled every night with stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, let's go. That was me and, at the beginning of marriage, too. Yeah. And that's joy for you, yeah, you know, right. but it killed me. Mm -hmm. um, and it was killing him to just be sitting and not, not doing something, right? Not talking to somebody or whatever. And so that was one of our first real differences that we noticed. But recently, we took the Enneagram. Yeah. And I've had a hard time figuring out if I'm a one or I'm a four. But what's hilarious is that Justin's a seven. Okay. And um, when we read it, it was like, oh my goodness, there is no more perfect description of you on planet Earth. <laughs> okay. Which, did y'all take the test or did y'all read a book or what? Uh, we did both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did both. He has never, ever tested anything other than seven. It's okay. like they wrote it after looking at his life. <laughs> okay. um, but the thing is, I looked up relationship between a four and a seven, and I looked up relationship between a one and a seven. Both descriptions begin with, these pairs are basically opposites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, so whatever I am, I'm opposite of my husband. Right. So we did that recently. And one of the things that I discovered when I was reading his, I'm pretty good at knowing myself. So I wasn't very shocked. He's not very good at knowing himself. Okay. And it's been a long journey in our marriage to try to figure out what he's like, honestly, like mm -hmm. just to uncover that, help him share what makes him frustrated, what makes him happy. So we read this description and for him, it was like this joy, like that's me. That's so exciting. But for me, it was really difficult because I realized that so many of the things I had been trying to fix about him were things he just was, mm -hmm. you know, like things that I felt like were flaws or problems or we'll get better at this. Like they were actually him. Yeah. And I realized that like I hadn't been accepting him for who he was, that I had just been like, well, one day he won't always want to do new things. <laughs> one day, you know, he'll calm down. Right. Like one day he would rather sit and have a long conversation than go stand up 
paddleboarding, yeah. right? Like, um, <laughs> but that just wasn't ever going to happen. Like, and I started to come to terms with that. And honestly, it was a little terrifying at first mm -hmm. because I was like, oh no, these two types are so different and maybe we're never going to grow to be the same. That was my first reaction. But in the years since then, we've both spent a lot of time thinking about how to be different together. Hmm. And I will say that there are some absolutely amazing things about being partnered with someone who's so different from you. Yes. You make a really round person. You know, when you're married, you're one flesh and we're good at a lot of things together. Right. <laughs> and we're able to accomplish so much together that we never could have accomplished on our own. Mm -hmm. um, if I had been left to my own devices, my life would be so much smaller. You wouldn't have as cool of a swallowed up book cover. <laughs> For sure. Like, and you know, he's taught me all kinds of stuff. Like he taught me graphic design. He taught me how to make videos. Like what I'm doing in my storytelling ministry is all stuff he taught me how to do. He's just always learning new things, always. And always pushing us into new frontiers, like always taking risks. Um, and all of it is terrifying to me. <laughs> and honestly, I would rather not do it. But once we've done it, I'm so glad we did. Yeah. You know, I'm just so thankful for who he is. Um, now, it makes conflict really hard. When we're in disagreement, uh, we've had to come up with some ways to figure out how to do this. Okay. Well, because we both prize such different things, sometimes that can make things like, for example, parenting difficult, right? Yes. So like the other day, um, Eve got lost at the park and she was on her scooter and she went too far and we couldn't find her. And it was like a whole 15 minutes where we didn't know what our, where our daughter was. Ugh. Now she's nine years old. So I was not very worried about it. I don't think Justin was all that worried about it either. But uh, when we found her, I had one way that I anticipated that going. And he had another way he anticipated that going. Mm -hmm. And they were totally different. And so I found her first. And I sort of did my thing. And then when we walked up to him, his reaction was absolutely the opposite. So it's like one getting like one mad at her. She's in trouble. Yeah. Okay. And um, she flipped out. You know, she starts bawling and like, I try to like step in and be like, oh, I actually told her this. And then he's mad at me, you know, because like, I assumed that this is how we would handle it. Yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, like, who would ever handle it any other way? Like, this is the only way to handle it. Yeah. And so it was just one of those moments where we both think we're right. And at the same time, we both love Jesus and we both love this girl. Yes. Right. Like, I trust his heart. I think he's a wise and good person. He trusts my heart. He thinks I'm a wise and good person. But we just totally disagree about this. And I've just had to have the humility to believe that just because it's how I think doesn't mean it's right. Mm. And that when we're different, it's not I'm right and he's wrong. Yep. It's just that we're different. It's just, yeah, we're different. Mm -hmm. It takes humility, right, it, to believe that someone else could be right, that their way of doing things could be better. So I'm just trying to like live with these open hands with him and just be like, you know, I wouldn't do it that way, but I trust you and you are a grown man <laughs> and make your own decisions, babe, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to affect me, you know, and I'm going to have to ride this wave, but I can't 
make your decisions for you. Yeah. Right. And I can't live your life for you. And and how uncomfortable would that be if he had to live like me for his whole life? Yeah. And exhausting. Yes. It'd be terrible. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out a way for both of us to be our full selves in this relationship and for both of us to appreciate the other person's full self and to find some kind of way to have unity, even in difference. Yes. I love that. And I also want to say something like, so I did an event. Jennifer had a, is it a book release party? Book release. <laughs> and um, so I got to help with worship and seeing the way that Justin, who is a leader, he's a preacher, the way that he honors you and like mm-hmm. gives you space to flourish is really beautiful to me. Um, in a world where I feel like we have this almost power struggle between men and women, I feel like yeah. you, you two do really well loving and honoring one another in your own leadership positions. And so I want to hear from you, like your thoughts on both being strong, but yet submitted to one another at the same time. Yeah. Like, is that something you'll have to fight for? Is it something you do naturally? Well, it's, I think we both just really admire one another. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. Like, I really respect him and he really respects me. And um, when we first got together, he never tried to make me less. Yeah. And I was kind of one of those really large personalities, even at 13 years old. You know, I was one of those people who won all the contests and, yeah. you know, was camper of the year and all that stuff. I was really shiny, I guess, yes. as a kid. You know, yeah. I tried really hard and I was one of those people. And um, I've seen people in relationships try to pull those people down so mm-hmm. they feel better. Justin always just liked being liked it. That's who I was. Yeah. It was always um, wonderful to him. It was a part of why he loved me and he wanted me to do the things I was good at. He wanted me to flourish. He never wanted less for me. Right. And that's just one of the beautiful things about his personality. There's no envy there. He never looks at things that I accomplish and compares himself to that. Mm -hmm. He always realizes that when something good happens to me, it's something good happening to us. That's right. Yep. So he's been incredibly supportive. Um, For me, I had one phase in our life where I was not like that. And it was when I had, when we had babies. So when we had children, I was in a place where I wasn't making enough money to support our family. And the work that I was doing wasn't quite as meaningful, honestly, as the work that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so we made a decision together that he would work and I would stay home with the kids because it mattered to us that one of us was there. Mm -hmm. Well, I was terrible um, at taking care of babies. (laughs) I really was. I don't know how you can be terrible at it, but I was. And I hated it. Um, I love my babies. Yeah. But I did not like that lifestyle at all. Yeah. And my husband was off in the meantime doing my job, like the stuff I love to do, right? He was a minister. He was meeting with people, talking to him about Jesus. I'd show up at his work to like pick something up and he'd just be sitting in a quiet room reading a book. Uh, (laughs) Do you pick him up and throw him at him? (laughs) Oh, I was so mad, you know? And it was so stupid because something good happening to him was something good happening to me because he was taking care of our family and blessing us. It was beautiful. But I just was so mad that I didn't have it. You know? Yeah. And so I would be not as patient as I should have been with that job. I was, you know, like more easily discouraging than I should have been. I should have been much more encouraging, but I let that envy creep in there and I wasn't doing a good job lifting him up in his work. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time that's happened. And fortunately, I've been able to see it really clearly. But I think for both of us right now, we just 
we're so excited that God would choose us to work in any way. Hmm. I'm so honored that he would choose my husband. And I only just want to be so supportive and thankful. And I'll make whatever sacrifices I can make to enable that. Hmm. Because who would want to get in God's way? Yeah. You know, I for sure don't want to. And he's been that way with me. When he sees God blessing something, I mean, he leans in and he'll sacrifice money and he'll sacrifice time and whatever it takes in order to let God use this, you know, to not get in his way. Mm -hmm. And how beautiful, like as you're talking about that, if we as the church could extend that to our brothers and sisters, you know, that same like, hey, something happening good for you is is good for all of us, you know, and just fighting for one another's honor and success. And like, anyway, that's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So if you could go back, this is the last question I ask every guest. If you could go back in time five or 10 years and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Uh, No question. I would tell myself to chill out. (laughs) I would go all the way back. I wish I could tell eight-year-old Jennifer to chill out. chill out. Uh, and everything would be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've, this is the first year I've done one of those pick a word. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. My word this year is rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the year when I'm finally going to learn how to do it. Like I'm absolutely convinced I am going to learn how to rest, mm-hmm. but I've spent way too much of my life striving, you know, like trying way too hard and not realizing that God's going to do what he's going to do. Like I need to show up for sure, but it's not up to me to make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. It's not up to me to make people happy. It's not up to me to fix other people's lives. Mm. And man, that would have been a beautiful thing to know a long time ago. Yeah. And I feel like my poor husband has just been spending 18 years like trying to shove it into my brain. (laughs) To chill out. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Chill out. Yes. Those words are like water for my soul. (laughs) Like it's not your job to fill in the blank. (laughs) It's not, Kara. I love it. I love it. Chill out. Your kids aren't going to be a mess if you don't do it all perfectly. They're going to be fine. Yes. You know, God does what God does. That's right. All you mamas out there with newborns that don't know whether you should give your kid a passy or not or use disposable diapers or not. (laughs) My kids are awesome, and I was terrible for three years. So... Like those whole first three years of their lives are like a total blur. Uh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so tell us what you have coming up, how people can get in touch with you or your books, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, well, my website is godscout.com, like Girl Scout, but we're looking for God. <laughs> yeah. So you can, if you get on there, you can see my speaking engagements that are coming up. I'm going to be in um, just outside of Jackson, Tennessee on the 15th of February. And it's going to be awesome. I'm doing this event with the guy who created Kid President. So and cool. um, yeah, and we're going to talk about the relationship between grief and joy. Yes. And I think that'll be so fun because he's like Mr. Joy and yes. everybody doesn't take him seriously. They're like, oh, yeah, you're just about joy. Like, that's not important. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm like Miss Grief. Uh, and everybody thinks I never smile, you know, so together, <laughs> I think we're going to do something really fun. Oh, I wish I could go to that. That is so cool. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Be great. And I write under J.L. Gerhart, not Jennifer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, J.O. Gerhart. And you can find all my books on Amazon. Great. And I'll put links to all of them um, in our show notes at headedsomeplace.com. A Grief Received by J.L. Gerhart just launched this week. And Jennifer is giving away a copy of it and her book, Swallowed Up 
to one lucky podcast listener. So go to my Instagram at Kara Z. That's K-A-R-A-D-A-W-N-Z at Kara Z for details on how to enter. I'll also have links to all of her books on the website, headedsomeplace.com. So if you missed any of that, don't worry. You can catch it all on headedsomeplace.com as well as Q&A with Jennifer, like the music she's listening to and loving right now and the most influential book she's ever read. Pictures of her and her brother, Bobby, which are super sweet. You'll see what, see a wedding pic of Jennifer and Justin. Anyway, it's a great place to go look and get a little extra about our guests. So special thanks today for music from thelightparademusic.com and Frontline Music produced by Dustin Ragland. Thank you for listening, and I hope today you feel a little less alone and a little more encouraged.